Hello, everybody, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, grabbing the microphone, along with co-host... Ed Wilkinson. Broadcasting live from the KVY, KVOI Modern Broadcast Complex in Tucson, Arizona, welcoming all of you to the Candidate Palooza edition of Inside Track. Hey, thanks for tuning in this afternoon. Today, we've got a great show for you today. It's all about the 2022 elections from school board to the U.S. Senate, starting with Mona Gibson, candidate for the Amphi School Board, who will join us after the rundown. Blake Masters, GOP primary candidate for the U.S. Senate, joins us after the break for the balance of the show with comments about the confirmation hearings of Kentanji Jackson-Brown, KBJ, and much more. We welcome your calls today on the Corazon Cabinet's live line at 790-2040. And before we get going, let's remind you that Inside Track is brought to you by great sponsors, Eric Rudin at Essential Pest, who shares your dislike of bugs, vermin, and weeds, 886-3029. Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus, their junk is your treasure. Call Jamie or Craig at 209 209- one five seven six, and also by Joy and Alley at Corazon Cabinets, high quality cabinets for your home, you'll love at a price you can afford. Call them at four eight eight two two six six. Also supporting Inside Track is my friend and Inside Track co-host Eb Wilkinson from Wilkinson Wealth Management. Let Eb help you never have to depend on Socialist Security. You can reach him at seven 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 nineteen eleven. All of our sponsors are locally owned, family-run businesses you can depend upon. Well, before we get to our first guest, Mona Gibson, here's the rundown. Russia's invasion suffered a significant setback when the city of Kherson in southern Ukraine near Russian-occupied Crimea was declared contested territory again by a U.S. Defense Department official. Colonel General Sergei Rudzovsky Deputy Chief of Russia's Armed Forces told a state-run TV channel Friday that the military is changing strategy and will now focus on the complete liberation of the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine. Encouraging reports also from Irpin, where Ukraine troops have apparently driven back Ruski troops about 35 kilometers. Ukrainian officials citing eyewitnesses said some of the 300 people had died after Russian forces bombed a theater where more than 1,000 had taken refuge in the besieged Ukrainian Ukrainian city of Mariupol. NBC News was not able to independently confirm the claim, which involved an attack that has become an emblem of Russia's indiscriminate bombardment of civilian targets. NATO's Deputy Secretary General says that Russian President Vladimir Putin's month-old barbaric war against Ukraine is not one he can win. Mircea Gayona said in an interview with the Associated Press that NATO would be forced to take appropriate measures in the event of a chemical or nuclear attack, which follows a string of ominous comments from Moscow officials who refused to rule out their use. He declined to say what those measures would be, but he said, I can guarantee that NATO is ready to respond proportionately. 
Also, Finland's president says his country would likely be targeted by Russian cyber warfare and could face border violations if it decides to apply for membership in NATO. While public support in Finland is high for NATO membership, he pointed out a risk of disruptive behavior by Russia during an accession process, which said would take at least eight, uh, would would last several months. Moscow has said it would consider European Union members, Finland and neighboring Sweden, joining NATO, a hostile move that would have had serious military and political repercussions. Also, the AP reported that Moscow was forcibly taking civilians from Ukraine to Russia. The Wall Street Journal also reported this morning that while the numbers of Ukrainians has slowed to 100,000 per day, the current number of refugees who have left Ukraine is nearly 3.7 million, mostly females, children, and elderly, plus some special needs people. Capable men mostly left to be uh, mostly left behind to defend the homeland. Several explosions today in Lvov might be the start of a new Russian strategy in eastern, excuse me, in western Ukraine to stop refugee flight, as well as imports of munitions and humanitarian aid. About 12 million Ukrainians are trapped behind enemy lines, and another 10 million have been displaced by the war. Estimates also that nearly $50 billion <coughs> in property losses have occurred at this time. America has promised visas for 100,000 Ukrainians. Our European allies' services are bursting at the seams. Visas are fine, but Ukraine needs more weapons and logistical support. Lastly, from me, NATO reported this week 40,000 Ruski KIA, MIA, injured or detained in Ukraine, including now six Russian generals reportedly killed on the battlefield. Ab? From the Wall Street Journal editorial board, Bernie Sanders loves a Ukraine war tax. The Senate budget chairman finds a socialist silver lining, and while Bernie Sanders may have lost his bid to raise taxes as part of the Build Back Better plan, but Bernie never sleeps, and he suddenly saw a new socialist opportunity in the war. Behold his Ending Corporate Greed Act, which would impose a 95% tax on U.S. corporate excess profits. James Freeman from the Journal opined this morning, the president should avoid public speaking, and I agree with that, as, la uh, as least when topics are important. Some issues are just too important to be left to an unscripted Joe Biden. This is not CNN, and your humble correspondent is not a doctor, so this column will not be offering long-distance diagnoses of the president's mental health or an assessment of how his cognition compares to that of other world leaders. But these are dangerous times, and we would all be much safer if Mr. Biden would make greater use of prepared statements on subjects such as, for example, weapons of mass destruction, close quote. Words are important, especially when release of nuclear weapons are involved. On to the confirmation hearings for nominee Kentanji Brown-Jackson. The number of Republican votes to confirm Judge Brown has diminished significantly, her inability and reluctance to answer Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn's question for her definition of a woman causes great concern for fear of blowback from the left on her nomination. Many GOP senators are also concerned about her answers on the CRT curriculum 
at the private day school she serves on the board who teach CRT and sex gender bending policies to children as young as three years old. Also great concerns for her departure from federal sentencing standards for child pornographers, especially where some become repeat offenders. Gavin Newsom and some Democrats in Congress pushing for gas cards to help subsidize lower-income Americans facing higher gas prices. This is just about the worst solution to a problem caused by the Biden administration's revoking all Trump oil independence policies and adding more burdensome regulations to American energy. That's the thing that has caught all this, all this government dollars is what has caused the inflation that we have today. Absolutely. Gas here, I paid four forty nine about four hours ago. In California, my granddaughter just paid six eighty nine. It's insane. Yikes. Yeah. Various reports, uh, various sources report that Vice President Harris's new press secretary deleted over ten thousand tweets, nuking all social media history before taking a job. Could this be a new cover up? Maybe. Welcome back from his hospitalization for an infection to Justice Clarence Thomas. Good health, much vigor, and many more healthy years to you, sir. One final note for today's rundown. Congratulations to the U of A basketball coaches, Tommy Lloyd and Adia Barnes, as well as members of both teams. What a memorable season. They all fought like wildcats. My official basketball season ended at 9.25 p.m. Pacific Daylight Savings Time Thursday night. And baseball season started. But like many of you, I will be rooting for giant killer St. Peter's tomorrow against North Carolina and Houston, the team that beat us, to beat another Wildcat team, Villanova, to punch their tickets to the Final Four next week. Ab? Yeah, Mr. Producer, let's take our first break and hear messages from our great support, uh, supporters. When we return, Amphi School District board candidate, uh, primary candidate, Mona Gibson joins us. She's sitting right here. And we welcome your calls at the Corazon Cabinet Talk Line, 790-2040. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track is an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted 
and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Our special guest for the next several minutes is primary candidate for the Ampi School Board, Mona Gibson. Last month when she spoke from the audience at an Ampi School Board meeting, she is quoted, uh, she quoted T.S. Eliot by saying this, the last stanza of T.H. Eliot's poem, The Hollow Men, includes this phrase, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. So... Mona, welcome to the show. Thank um, you. First, did any did anybody really know what you were saying, and uh, or know who T. S. Eliot is, and did they have a reaction? First, I want to say thank you for having me, uh, Bruce and Ev. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure. Um, that was the last meeting where they were all well, still wearing masks. So other than just looking at their eyes, it was hard to understand if they had any recognition. Um, generally, the school board does not respond to anybody, when any public comments. And they say that at up front, we won't respond. Uh, so it's hard to say if they understood it. Uh, I had been going there attending their board meetings for over a year now and attending in person uh, their their meetings. And every time that I made comments, I posted them to my website, which obviously you got that from it, monaforamphi.com. And Good plug. I tried. <laughs> I learned. And, um, it, you know, they don't respond to the comments and they don't even roll their eyes. They don't smile. They're just very stoic. So they you don't, don't know. If, emails or, or phone calls or letters either. Exactly. For the most part. That's what I was going to say. You betcha. And I've been going to the meetings, talking with the parents, the teachers who are there too, who for the most part are just so tired of those mask mandates of, of the board, not um, participating, not having any conversation, not taking into consideration their feelings, their thoughts, and they're just incredibly dismissive. And exactly when folks do contact the board, they fail to respond, mm. and the superintendent does not respond either. So, no, I don't know if they understood mm. T.S. Eliot. Mm. But my mm. point was that even though they're ending the mask mandate, this is a symptom of the right. problem that's going on. Right. And right. it's going to continue. Yeah. Eb and I believe in the long game to improve America and change for good here locally is through local school boards. Yes. And as part of our goal to inform voters in the upcoming election, we will continue to focus with as many school board candidates as will agree to appear on Inside Track. We may even have a Democrat or two uh, on the show. Um, Success in the classroom and restoring trust for all parents in public education starts at the school board level. And that's really why you're running, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So uh, when there were the November 2020 elections, I was sitting there and um, dismayed and, you know, heartbroken. I had recently retired. And I was like, I don't want to spend my retirement being upset. I was crocheting, watching cooking shows, and then the news. And I said... I got to the point when I kept hearing people have to run for office and school board being primary concern. So I said to myself, I, I have the education, the background, the experience. I can do this. I checked with my family. I said, do you, did you, how crazy do you yeah. think I am sitting on the skinny branches here? And so they, every, 
my family supported me, said, you go for it because I can make a difference being on the school board. And um, so I was retired and I said, I'm going to represent all the parents, all the teachers who, um, and the students who are just upset with the policies and the way the schools have been going. So Eb and I have a stock question we ask every candidate. Yes. And we're going to start our visit today with the same question we ask all of our candidates. According to the Arizona State Constitution, what is the stated purpose of government? To protect and maintain the individual rights. Bing. Ding, 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 ding. ding, ding. Um, you're right. That is. Yeah. So, so you've worked as a public servant, you say, uh, for many years managing projects, contracts, and people. Give us a real short story about your background and why these are qualifications for running for school board. Sure, you betcha. So I came here in the late 70s. Uh, I went to the University of Arizona. I got a bachelor's degree in biology, um, master's of science degree in uh, vocational evaluation, uh, rehabilitation counseling, and then an MBA, all from the U of A. Wow. And um, I had no real goals other than just education was kind of what I did. And I worked uh, primarily for uh, Pima County Human Resources and then went over from the firing pan, frying pan to the fire to, to USD. Uh, so I had my 20 years of public service. And then for the last decade, I worked at, for United Healthcare, but at the Arizona State Retirement System, which was the best of all worlds because I got to see people that I worked with who were retired. And I mostly worked with educating people on their Medicare uh, options. So it was it was just joyful and I loved it because people were coming in confused but going out informed. So working in the public sector and then in the private sector uh, in a in, uh, public sector environment, right. Um, I really got a feel for understanding how to work with people, leadership skills, um, and more importantly, how government operates. So appropriations and budgeting and, and all those other things and how to look for the fine details that can get easily missed. And I feel that that background and experience is helpful. My son also went through K-12 in the Amphi School District, so I'm familiar with the teachers and the um the principals, and what I found when he was going through the school that what was most important was leadership, was not necessarily the board, but the principal. And the board hires the principals. The board pays attention to the superintendent as well as to um, who, the hiring process for the principals. And a principal can live or die based upon the, the aspects of the principal. Uh, because the principal is the one that has leadership. So with all this legislation that they're talking about saying, oh, we're not going to allow CRT in the schools or, or we're going to do this, it really is up to the principal to determine if it is or not in the right. classroom. So it really goes down to the leadership in each individual school. Yep. Okay, so yes. you've got a BS from the U of A yes. in biology and psychology. Yes. You've got an MS... You've got an MBA in HR and marketing. Mm -hmm. And because you have a, B, a BS in biology, maybe you can answer, what is a woman? <laughs> because apparently the Supreme Court nominee, Katanjay Jackson Brown, Brown Jackson, Brent. can't. 
Yes, I believe I can define <laughs> okay, a <yes>. woman. <laughs> okay, okay, good. So we got that down. Now, serious question. Um, you've spoken out about uh, against the mask mandates. Yes. Okay, talk to us about what you would have had the AMFI board and the district superintendent done differently. So when it all first started, the first few months of the pandemic, uh, no one really knew what was going on. So having the mandates, the masks, it may have made sense in the first month or possibly two months. But once they were realizing that the majority of the people who were very sick and were dying from COVID, those who were being hospitalized, were the older folks, you know, over 60, over 80, you know, those are the ones who were really impacted. The children were not in being infected and they were not um, transmitting. The, they weren't contagious if they did get it and they weren't being hospitalized. So to take the folks, the kids who have the lowest risk, the, this population that has the lowest risk and mandate masks that they're not going to uh, spread something, not only caused them harm, I mean, because it was ridiculous, but caused them harm because now they're growing up with, oh, I, you know, don't want to kill my grandma because I'm not wearing a mask. And it's causing this level of fear and anxiety in this generation that is going to be extremely hard to recover. So what I would have done differently was... Uh, you know, the superintendent said, well, we're going to follow the CDC guidelines and we're going to follow the local public health department guidelines. It's like, okay, well, for the first maybe couple of months, that may have made sense. But then once you start seeing the studies that masks really don't work, that kids aren't, you know, it's like just because you establish a budget, it's a guideline. It's not written in stone. It's not the Ten Commandments. You don't have to follow it. You can adjust. You can change. And what I found about this board that they were doing is they were delegating their power to the superintendent who said, this is how we're going to do it. And he was stuck in a corner and he just stayed with whatever the CDC said. It's like, take a step back. Use some common sense. Use your own knowledge and experience that you have and look to see that this doesn't make Todd sense. Todd Yeager is a lawyer. So all lawyers are super concerned about professional liability and so on and exactly. liability period is it was it that or was it just control i would like to take the generous atmosphere you know thought that it was just um he established this is what our guidelines are going to be this is how we're going to do it and he's stuck with it rather than saying let's revisit this because it doesn't make sense um, yes, he wanted to be as conservative and protect the children as much as possible. And I'm sure he feels that this is the best thing to do for the children without taking into consideration, and I've written about this several times, um, you know, the suicide rate, the, the adverse effects that have nothing to do with COVID. They haven't <coughs> taken that into consideration. And, and having keeping the zero, kids out of school for a year? That was come outrageous on. alone. You know, right. the, the, I'm sorry, but the the, uh, the teachers should not have the power that they have to say, oh, I'm going to sit this year out. Yeah. You know, unlike Reagan, who said to the FAA uh, 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 tower guys, right. you know, yeah, if you don't work, we fire you. And then he did. It, and that was probably the best thing for competitiveness in the, in the country, getting away from a unionized type of thing. And I don't know if the AMFI union is all that strong. It's really comes down to 
um, the the board never asked questions. The um, the superintendent said, this is the way it's going to be. They delegated the power to him, and they never asked questions. They never tried to see if it made any difference or not. What role do the parents have in this? Well, and how much power do you think the parents have in the mm-hmm. school and the board? I think the board needs to listen to the students and, and listen to the parents who are representative of the students. Um, the parents had been going to all the board meetings, you know, co- not just complaining, but crying, saying, stop these mandates. Let my children breathe. You know, I want my children to learn. There were teachers who were saying, I don't want to police the mandate. Mm. I, I want to uh, teach. I, you know, I don't want to keep taking all the time to make sure the kids mask is up above their nose. And yet there were a number of teachers that did quite the opposite. They, they were yes, proverbial mask Nazis. Can I say that on the air? You just did. Okay. <laughs> yes, and that was another problem, and that continues to be a problem, that there are some teachers who, now that masks are optional in the Amphi School District, there are teachers who say, but we still want you to wear them. And students who are still wearing them because this is like the status quo, and they've grown up with this in the past two years, and it's just terrible. But the parents are the are the true teachers. And um, when my son was going through school, we, every night at dinner, it's like, okay, what did you learn tonight? You know, what did you learn today? It's like, how much did we have to unlearn him from, you know, from the day? And we wanted to make sure that he understood and he had a good foundation growing up. And it's a parent who is the primary teacher of of all those uh, students. And the parents who represent the students and it's the board who needs to listen to them. I had um, a petition that I had 162 people, mostly parents, signing this saying stop the mask mandate. I submitted it and never got any follow-up from anyone on the board from Mr. Jager or anybody. And I submitted it, I sent emails and got no response. So I know they were just not listening to the parents. Speaking of the teachers, um, it's important to have quality teachers, and what can you do to get those quality teachers without breaking the backs of the school district? So a, a lot of it, everybody thinks that it's all a matter of the money. You know, the more money we spend, the better off we are going to be, and money is part of it, but respect is also a significant part of it. And uh, the school board has not shown any respect to the teachers. They don't have a true... Um, conference with the teachers union. They don't sit down and talk with any of the teachers. You know, they will have awards and and each of the meetings they'll, you know, pat someone on the back saying, yay, great job and give an award out once in a while. But actually going out and talking with the teachers, I just don't feel that they do that. And this... um, Isn't that part of their job? Should be, yes. Uh, They go on special occasions, you know, when there's something big to do and they'll go to um, a, a school or two. But um, recently, they decided to send out the contracts to the teachers two months earlier than usual, which is really hard for a teacher who says, you know, I'm thinking about going to a charter school or an individual school, or I can't stay in my school and I want to change. They want some time to think about it. And you can't commit in January for what next September. It it just made no sense. And that just showed their level of discomfort. Um, concern. Well, uh, maybe it made absolute sense to them because they're scared to death the teachers are going to go to the charter schools. 
Well, a lot of teachers have been going to charter schools. Uh, the um, attorney general had recently just uh, put out the report in the last meeting. The school board was talking about that. Uh, Mr. Scott Little was uh, going over the details. And Amphi School District lost 16% of their kids from 2020 to 2021. So they're losing kids. They're losing teachers. Um, they have this retention bonus to keep the teachers, but again, it's not amount. It, money is part of the is part of the conversation, but not the only part. I've of the never conversation. met a teacher who got into teaching for to the get money. Rich. No. Yeah, my daughter went into teaching, and I said, "You're never going to make money." She goes, "I know." Three years later, oh my God, I'm not making money. Oh, so many teachers do it because of the love of teaching. I know I can't be a teacher. I, I mean, my son failed his fourth grade math class one time because I helped him with his math homework. I was like, yeah, I'm not a teacher. And that's fine. Not everybody's to be teaching, but so many teachers just love what they do and are so f absolutely wonderful at what they do. But they need to be respected, they need to be appreciated, and they need to be paid appropriately. So real quick, we're up against the clock and so Sorry. on. Earlier this week, uh, uh, Judge uh, Ketenji Brown-Jackson, who sat on a private school board, testified that she didn't know that the Georgetown Day School board she sat on had a CRT and transgender curriculum agenda. What is the CRT and transgender agenda being promoted by the Amphi board in the schools? Uh Mr. Jager came out uh, in a response to uh, one of the um, parents' uh, public comments, and um, a month later, he said, we don't have CRT in our classrooms. We don't have it in the Amphi School District. However, if you look at the state-sponsored curriculum, if you start looking at the books, and that's why there's a lot of legislation so that parents can look at the materials that are available, a CRT is inherent in so many of the information that's available nowadays and it it may not be you know those words um but you'll see it in diversity equity and in, in varying forms and again it goes to how the principals are leading the classrooms are, are leading the teachers who are leading the classrooms because a teacher can take a math problem or an english you know exercise and use crt language uh, so it really goes down to the leadership all right. Well, Mona, thanks for joining us today. How can okay. our listeners find out more about you and support you? Uh, excellent. Uh, thank you so much, Bruce. So Mona4Amphi.com. That's F-O-R. Yes. Mona4Amphi.com. Uh, I have my email, which is Mona at Mona4Amphi.com. And I also have a donate button, which my husband and I actually figured out how to put on the website. So we're happy <laughs> about that. You. So if you can use it, I'd appreciate it just to make sure it works. All right. Well, thanks very much for appearing. Don't be a stranger here, please. Okay. You're welcome any, You're welcome back anytime. Stay tuned, everybody. Uh, 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 don't touch that button. When we return, GOP primary candidate for U.S. Senate, Blake Masters, joins us for the rest of the hour together where you're listening to inside track we'll be right back customers come first at tucson iron and metal surplus what other kind of customers do you have so our tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the tucson area they're buying a lot of square tubing they're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences we'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. So 
uh, we have a relationship there and then we can buy material what they're making bringing it back and so we save on freight and we have relationships for years with them so i think that's really our niche market we'll sell whatever you need tucson iron and metal surplus call 209-1579 stop by the yard 701 east 36th street open monday through saturday Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? <sighs> no, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Bruce and I are pleased to welcome back GOP primary candidate for U.S. Senate, Blake Masters. Blake, you've appeared on Inside Track many months ago, shortly before you declared April 4th is around the corner. Where are you with your petition signatures? Well, thanks for having me, Ed, Bruce. I'm glad to report uh, I'm on the ballot. I'll be on the ballot. We turned in my signatures earlier this week. You know, I had to get 7,400 of them something like that. I, I turned in 19,000. So I think I'm going to be on the ballot. Wow. That's great news. Yeah. So what's been your biggest surprise so far in your campaign over the past month since we've talked? You know, I continue to just be surprised at, by the stories that I hear from people. You know, I, I know that people are suffering under the Biden-Harris regime. Like we know that, right? We see the headlines, but but people are not headlines. And when you're sitting across the table from someone, maybe they're in Sun City, you know, on a fixed income, uh, and they're just this inflation. It's not an academic concern. It's not an annoyance. It's existential. Uh, people are really being harmed by this, and it, it's just heartbreaking. You know, you're talking about inflation. The government's putting out stats anywhere from 5.7 to 7.9 percent. The problem with those numbers, it doesn't include food and it doesn't include energy. And right. and those things have just skyrocketed. Gas is up over 100% at the pump. I just went to Costco the other day to buy some meat. Oh, my God. That's just, right. Just, just yeah. incredible. Hey, uh, let's talk about the current SCOTUS nomination, Kajan, Katanji Brown-Jackson. What is the primary difference between the demeanor of the Republican senators and the conservative media in this hearing versus the way the Democrats did it with Brett Kavanaugh? Well, I mean, the Democrats just behaved like complete animals, complete barbarians to Brett Kavanaugh to, to accuse him of what they did. Right. I mean, remember, they called him a gang rapist in front of his family and like, the worst that they could actually find was maybe he had a few too many beers in high school, you know, and made some flatulence jokes in his yearbook. I mean, the Democrats just it was it, it was shameful. And what the Republicans did here, by contrast, you know, with Judge Brown Jackson is looked at her record. 
why is she going so light on child pornography offenders? There was a pattern of that, right? They asked her very simple questions. Can you define what a woman is? She could not do that because she is not a biologist, she said, right? It was all fair, I thought. I thought it was inbounds, and uh, I thought she showed herself to be unqualified to sit on the Supreme Court. Well, you know, the qualifications that she presented may be impressive, but as you said, her decisions certainly are not. If you're on the judiciary, would her lack of compliance with the federal sentencing guidelines bother you? It would bother me. It would bother me, although we got to zoom way out. Like, what would bother me the most is just her fundamental judicial philosophy. I mean, she didn't really articulate one, but that's kind of the problem, right? That's the point. We need justices on the Supreme Court to faithfully uh, interpret the Constitution, right? We can debate about their specific kind of fidelity to the Constitution, originalism, textualism, or the original public meaning type, you know. But no, we need conservative justices who know that the Constitution means what it says, and your job is to interpret it, not to make the law. You get the, the Kagans, the Sotomayors, now the, the, the Kintanjis on the court, and they just make up the law, and our country suffers for it. So your campaign said the president did her a disservice in the way they chose her, declaring the pick had to be a black woman. How do you think that narrow criteria might hurt her going forward if she is confirmed? Well, now everybody's just going to always look and, I guess, associate her with affirmative action, right, which I think is really unfair. Um, she Look, she's qualified in some traditional sense, right? She went to all the right law schools and, and clerked and clerked for the Supreme Court. Um, and so I don't think she's a stupid person. She's probably smart enough. I think her judicial philosophy is wrong. But I think we ought to be putting the best person for the job up on the Supreme Court. And if you're Joe Biden, to say that, uh, all white people, all Latinos, all men, um, you know, are excluded from consideration because they don't have the right. Uh, I mean, it's ironic, actually, that he said it has to be a woman. And then she gets up there. She can't even say what a woman is. Right. So the left is very incoherent on this. But she checked the boxes. And that's why she was chosen. Joe Biden told us this. I just think that you almost have to feel bad for her. Almost. Yeah, you barely. So let me go back to your campaign for a moment. You and I talked God, months and months and months ago in my office, I said, why the heck are you doing this? You've got a great gig. You don't necessarily, I mean, you don't need the money. Well, you don't need that money. Now that you've been doing this for a while, why are you still doing this? I'm still doing it, and and, and I'm all in because we need to, to win this seat back. We need to get Mark Kelly out of there. Um, you know, for all these reasons, Arizona this Senate race turns out to probably be the most important one uh, in this whole cycle in, in the country. And the reason is it could determine the entire balance of power in the Senate, right? If the Democrats take the Senate, they'll try to nuke the filibuster. If they do that, they'll pack the Supreme Court. They'll try to add D.C. and Puerto Rico as states to the union, right? They'll federalize elections. And so it's all just hanging by a thread. And then I still I look around at my comp competitors in the race. Uh, I think I'm a much better candidate. I think I'm showing that every day. I'm talking about real issues in a real way. I hope I don't sound like a normal politician, uh, but I'm getting traction in the race. And I know that I can beat Mark Kelly and actually get in and provide new and effective leadership. I think this country is sorely in need of that. So it just feels like the right thing to be doing. I think that's why it's working.
Hey, Blake, this is Bruce. Uh, thanks for coming on the show today. I talked with your staff earlier this week, and they were very responsive, as opposed to some other candidates who weren't quite as forthcoming. So uh, we appreciate that. Um, um, again, we're, we're talking with Blake Masters, uh, a, a GOP candidate uh, in the Arizona primary uh, for U.S. Senate. Uh, Blake's uh, email, or excuse me, his uh, website is www.blakemasters, all one word, dot com, www.blakemasters.com. So big headline that I read uh, online earlier today, it says Senate candidate Blake Masters raises nearly $575,000 by selling NFTs. Okay, I'm almost 70 years old, okay, and, and I'm sort of, you know, narrowly focused in, in my uh, uh, investment real estate uh, business. What is an NFT, and how did you raise so much money? Well, it's kind of, it's, it's a little silly, but uh, let me just try to explain <laughs> it. Uh, NFT is a non-fungible token. And so all it is, look, anything could be an NFT online. It could be a, a picture, like a photograph. It could be a song. Um, there's a lot of digital art, though. So the best way to think of it is digital art. Now, the thing is, if you have an iPhone and I have you know, a piece of digital art on my phone, I can just send it to you. You can make a copy. You can send it out to other people. It's non-scarce, right? Non-rivalrous. Right. Uh, the thing about an NFT is it takes that exact same image, but it registers your ownership uh, using a blockchain protocol. So you can prove, yeah. Okay, Bruce, you have a copy of mine, just like you can make a, a copy, a print of a Picasso, but it's not the real thing. And it pushes that to the absurd limit because it's actually, in this case, just a digital copy, 100% identical. But if there's only a, a scarce amount of registered ones, that's where the value comes from. So a couple of years ago, I wrote this best-selling book with Peter Thiel, kind of became like the startup, uh, I guess the startup book, uh, Zero to One. And you know, I'm trying to be an innovative uh, campaigner to raise money for my campaign. I had this idea, why don't we create an NFT based on an early cover, uh, sort of prototype book cover, made a limited edition, 99 of them. And we gave all these real world benefits Like you get to come and hang out with me and Peter and you get to, you know, have this uh, exclusive chat room, kind of made a club. We made a club around this book and max donors, people who donated, you know, whatever it is, $5,800 to my campaign, got one. And so in a sense, I, you know, sold an NFT, but actually what I was doing was kind of building this community, uh, people that wanted to support me politically that, that read my book and, you know, it worked. <laughs> so I was the first candidate in political history to pull that off. That's a, that's a great idea. You know, you could have done much better had you sat down with uh, Joe Biden's kid and done watercolors. Well, you know, not everybody's... Uh, as, as talented and smart as Hunter Biden is, he's just a business <laughs> genius and an artistic genius, apparently. Can That's you imagine, true. by the way, if Donald Trump Jr., who I'm happy to count as a friend of mine, imagine if he started selling paintings for a million dollars to anonymous Chinese and Ukrainian and whatever, the oligarchs. Like, it's just money laundering, it's corrupt, and, and Hunter Biden still, to this day, and Joe, they get a free pass from the media. Yep. Yep. You know, it's either that or start your own foundation. All right, let's let's move on to our border issues. Um, Blake, Poland has received over 2 million Ukrainians uh, who have crossed the border legally, and they're completely overwhelmed in that country. Loads of candidates say they're going to solve the immigration issue, the illegal immigration issue uh, in this country. What makes you different from the other candidates? I mean, 
I don't, I, I think Mark Burnovich, he'll say the stuff, but he actually has power right now and hasn't been doing anything. So I just, I don't even know if Mark Burnovich wants to secure the border. Um, you know, you look at my other competitor, Jim Lehman, he, uh, he says all the, all the right things, you know, build the wall and, and, you know, deport people who try to come here illegally. And don't get me wrong, those are correct. I campaign on those too. I think I take it uh, a step further and I actually talk about like, okay, what can we do in January 2023 when I'm sworn in? I hope we'll have 53, 54. I mean, I'd love to 61, but we'll have a Republican majority in the Senate. Uh, so what can we do with those votes, given that Joe Biden is in office or Kamala Harris or whatever version of that disaster is still going to be there in 2023 and 2024? Do we really have to wait to secure the border until January 2025? Because that's, that's like five more million illegal immigrants that we'd have to get if we can't do anything. I think there's still stuff we can do. And I don't hear these guys talking at this level. But what we can do, for instance, Joe Biden's got to fund the Department of Homeland Security, you know, either in a giant omnibus bill or or in a, a, a specific funding bill. And we need to take a page from the Democrats and play hardball. He needs our votes as Republicans to get that bill through to fund that part of the government. And I'm not going to sign that. I'm not going to vote for that unless it includes specific language that, that, that commits him. Uh, in a non-discretionary way to enforce federal law, to, to uh, actually deport people who are trying to come here illegally. And we'll hold them hostage. And you know, the Democrats always do this to Republicans. They say, oh, you wouldn't be willing to shut down the government. They play that. We don't. And I'm tired of it because we have an invasion and we need people in who are going to play hardball and, uh, and do everything we can to make Biden administration life mis- miserable unless and until they enforce federal law. So let's let's see what what for all of our listeners here. Uh, this is what Blake has said uh, also about uh, illegal immigration. We need to completely end illegal immigration using every tool at hand: physical walls, surveillance technology, thousands more border agents, and mandatory e-verify for employers. Now this is sort of Blake. Um, it sounds like it's a, it's a everything sort of a uh, approach, don't you think? And and um, the other candidates really, they may say that, but I, I, it just doesn't seem like they have the will to do it. And I don't know That's why. Right. I mean, and That's you, right. you just use the word invasion. That is like, uh, like a trigger point for a lot of, not just Democrats, but for, for, for Republicans as well. Don't you think? Uh, apparently, but you know, I'm going to keep saying it. I'm not trying to be uh, needlessly provocative. I, I, it's provocative, but it's needed, you know, because it's true. And I don't mind being bold and taking some arrows from the media or, or the left or whatever. If it's true and it's it's important, that I'm going to say it. And and we are being invaded. You know, I think illegal immigration is. Uh, I mean, look, the correct amount of illegal immigration is zero, right? That's why it's illegal. And so I think it's literally criminal, literally criminal for joe biden to be doing what he's doing these open borders policies uh he's the chief executive right he's supposed to faithfully execute the laws of the united states and every day he's presiding with his policies over hundreds of thousands of violations of federal law and he invites them right so i think he's he's uh, that's criminal i think that's that's impeachable obviously and if he's impeached i'll vote to convict in the senate just for the border negligence alone but i don't know of course it's an invasion what would you call it if i told you that 2.5 million people are coming into a country every year breaking its immigration laws and disappearing into the interior that's the size how of, is that non-invasion yeah that's the size of phoenix 
so so let me let me just if if I can be so bold to to make a couple of other suggestions to you. The other areas, in addition to more border patrol agents, and we definitely need more border patrol agents, is there are serious staffing problems and always has been at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. There are not enough uh, caseworkers to be processing these cases, and the other the other stool uh, on or excuse me the other leg on the stool, Blake, is also in the federal magistrate system. We need thousands more uh, uh, magistrates at a federal level to adjudicate uh, all of these cases because otherwise uh, they are not going to be heard. By the time the judges catch up with them three years later, if they ever catch them, they're gone. And, and And then the last thing is returning to return to Mexico. This, this yeah. is what made the last year or so in the Trump administration as successful as it was. And then, you know, Biden, as one of his early uh, um, uh, executive orders, he drops remain in Mexico. Exactly. Uh, I couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. And excellent sort of technical points on um, on all three The the, you know, immigration authorities, uh, staffing issues, and magistrate judges is really interesting. I'm going to add that in. But that's what I mean. It's like you can, if you just stop talking at the bullet point level and just say, hey, we have a real problem here, and how do we solve it? Then we can actually get something done. Yeah. How about the millions that are already here illegally in the past six months, a year? I would love to figure out a way to have them not be here, right? I, it, administratively, it becomes a very giant nightmare, right? How do you deport, like, literally 2 million people? Uh, how do you know if they've been here for 30 years or not? Technically, it doesn't matter. If they're illegal, they don't have a right to be here. But functionally, we can't quite deport 20 million people. Um, so it's a, it's a giant it's a giant problem. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. We, we've got U.S. Senate candidate Blake Masters with us. Uh, talk about the recent poll uh, that was taken. It was a very good poll for the Blake Masters campaign and your Club for Growth endorsement. Yes, uh, I'll take the last one first. Club for Growth, I think, is the second most coveted endorsement in conservative politics behind President uh, Trump's endorsement, uh, which I don't have yet, but I hope to hope to receive. I did get the Club for Growth endorsement, which is fantastic. Um, and, you know, they're just a, a pro-business, uh, you know, relatively free market, low-tax organization. And I believe in, in all that stuff. Um, and so I'm happy to – that was a good lift to my campaign. This poll that came out is very interesting because it's the first one uh, that shows I'm in the lead. Uh, I think it has me at 16 and Brnovich and Lehman at 14. Uh, and so, look, it was kind of a friendly poll. I think a, a super PAC that supports me commissioned it. But the pollster is legit. It's Fabrizio, and he's President Trump's pollster. Uh, and he does not just tell clients what they want to hear. And so what we're seeing, even in polls that have me in second place, I think my competitors' polls have me still in second place, but I'm going up. I am rising. It's up and to the right. I'm getting traction. Uh, and my data shows that when people know who I am, when they hear me and hear my message, and when they know the other guys, they choose me by kind of a overwhelming amount. And so if I can do my job and marshal the resources to spread the word to every primary voter, if I can literally just get myself known, uh, then I'll win. I want to talk briefly about Russian military aggression. We only have about two minutes left in the show, Blake. In late January, you um, said, uh, actually, you ridiculed the notion that America would involve itself in the deepening crisis between Russia and Ukraine. You have said, and Eb and I agree, a, a strong national defense is 
essential, but not endless war. What is the end game in Ukraine, uh, in your opinion, Blake Masters? Well, I think, you know, you have to avoid the the twin dangers of a being so aggressive you escalate to cause world war three which would be a nuclear exchange right uh, could kill billions of people on the other hand you know you you don't want to appease um it's not okay what putin did i think it's it's a murderous criminal invasion uh he invaded a, a sovereign country that country has a lot of problems you're not really allowed to talk about all the right. you know corruption in ukraine without being called pro-putin which is ridiculous but look innocent people are are uh you know getting killed and, and Putin is waging kind of a total war in some of these cities. And so that's bad. What we need to be doing is, you know, using sanctions, using uh, supplying, uh, you know, Ukrainians, at least with food, fuel, medicine, stuff like that, as a way to try to, and first of all, this is a European problem more than the United States problem, but to the extent we're in NATO and we're participating, you want to force the Russians to the negotiating table to get a ceasefire. I think they're going to get the Donbass. They can't have Kiev, but we all got to acknowledge Ukraine can never be a part of NATO. That's just off the table for Putin. It's a it's a security concern. And so some some ceasefire along those lines seems like it ought to be possible. But we got to get that war ended so that we don't risk World War Three. Blake Masters, thanks for joining us today. That's all the time we have for today's show and in our interview. Best of luck to you. Come back anytime. Um, we are you're a fresh uh, voice and and a and a and a different voice that people need Thank to hear. Thank God. Uh, contact or donate to www.blakemasters.com. That's not Breakmasters. It's Blakemasters.com. <laughs> Eb and I hope you enjoy the show today and our chats with Mona Gibson and uh, and uh, uh, Blake Masters. Uh, check out today's show on uh, the KBO website and Apple Podcasts. Until next week, when we have another great show planned for Inside Track, this is Bruce Ash and Eb Wilkinson. Thanking you for listening today and wishing you all a very pleasant good afternoon. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street, open Monday through Saturday. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com.